You're listening to And Then Some, a conversation with diverse thought leaders across sectors and the media, where we explore strategic communications, current trends, and how they impact us all. This podcast is presented by Solomon McCown and Sensi, an award-winning, fully integrated PR and government relations agency. This is And Then Some. Hi, everyone. I'm TJ Winnick. And I'm Connor Units, and welcome to And Then Some. So we are very pleased to have as our guest today, State Representative Michael J. Moran, who represents the 18th Suffolk District in the Massachusetts House of Representatives. His district encompasses the Alston and Brighton neighborhoods of Boston, as well as one precinct of Brookline. He's the Assistant Majority Leader, a proud Brighton resident, and an active member of the Democratic Party. Representative Moran was first elected to the chamber in a special election in April 2005, and has risen through the House leadership ranks to serve today as Assistant Majority Leader to Speaker Mariano. And in this capacity, our guest has a front row seat to shepherding through major pieces of legislation. Michael, so great to have you on the podcast. Really appreciate you being here. Thanks for having me. Representative TJ mentioned uh, that you've been in office now for 16 years, and obviously it's a very different communications landscape now than it was when you were first elected. I don't know if your original campaign had a MySpace page, but it probably wasn't uh, on Twitter or Facebook or any of these new channels. How have the changes in communication over the last 15, 16 years impacted the, the job of state legislator and how you communicate to the folks in your community? Well, I'm sure it, um, I'm sure it has made it a little different, um, but I still believe that in a rep race uh, at, at this size of a race, your best way to communicate is in person um, and be out in your district uh, talking to your constituents, um, be active. Um, I, I would probably venture to guess those that forget that and those that think they can do everything, uh, by whacking a couple of keys on a keyboard. Um, you know, I, I, I would, I would strongly, I would strongly encourage people not to think that that's going to do it. Um, it is a, com- it is a new component of, of how we communicate. I will say that, um, I believe I have a Facebook and a, and a, and a Twitter page and, maybe even an Instagram page, but, um, you know, I, I sort of see it as like, those are the modern day house signs, you know, um, you have to have them. Um, but you know, just like a house sign doesn't mean the person, a person that's in the house is voting for you, uh, or even is registered to vote. Um, you know, these, these, these types of communications, um, where I think they fail and where they become, uh, a little bit, um, problematic is when, there are people who are on them that uh, don't live in your district, are not part of your constituency, um, or fail to identify who they are or what they are or where they live. Or, um, you know, I mean, I know many instances of people having, you know, two or three of these accounts and simply going on there to, you know, push out some message or whatever. Um, that's why I think I think you have to have it. I think you got to be up there. But if you, if people think that that's the that's the uh, the only way that they should be communicating. I think they're probably going to be making a mistake and will find themselves um, out of politics pretty quickly. While you more genuinely connect with individuals, obviously in person with constituents, do you feel that you can supplement that, that connection with social media? A lot of your colleagues are into, you know, cultivating a a personality, an online personality, if you will. Um, But it sounds like you think that's, that's a little over, overblown. Uh, yeah, you're right. I do. I think it's overblown. 
<laughs> um, I think you, uh, I, I just don't think it, I don't think it's, and I, we saw it the last cycle, really. Um, yeah, I, I think you saw it the last cycle in the last elections. Uh, you got to be there and you got to put up house signs, you know, you got to do standouts, you know, you got to, you got to, uh, you know, you got to raise money. You got to, you know, it's all these things you do in a campaign. Um, it's a component of it for sure. Um, but again, if you, if, if people think it's, you know, the be all end all of, of, of how you win a race and how you communicate with your constituents, I mean, you don't even know who these, and off, off times on these things, you don't even know who these people are. They're, you know, you know, MJ seven, one, two, three, uh, you know, says he doesn't like you or she doesn't like you. <laughs> okay. MJ seven, one, two, three. Thank you for your comment. You know, so it's, it's just not, I just don't put as much stake in it. No, I'm up there and I put stuff out. I put stuff on there. Um, you know, I wouldn't know how to tell you to get onto my Facebook page or my Twitter page, but I have somebody that does it for me. Um, and you know, I give them content and I tell them what I think we should put up, but, but that's the other thing. I just don't, I just don't think it's, um, I just don't think if you use it as the, as the only means or, or you put too much emphasis on it, you're, you're by necessity, by, by necessity, you're taking away from something else. And I would prefer um, to, to, you know, these districts are small enough. They don't, they're, they're, they're designed that way. You know, we're, we're supposed to be the closest to the people, the house, the members of the house. Um, and, you know, uh, the, 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 the founders of this, of this Commonwealth uh, and, and have designed it that way, you know, and, uh, and, you know, if you're not out there, you know, uh, talking to people, uh, hearing their concerns, going to your neighborhood associations and attending various, you know, things in your district, um, that's that that is that is paramount for me. I mean, that is that will never change. Um, uh, and and, and, and if, it, if it does, I, I would imagine then then maybe I will be out of this business. But uh, <laughs> but that's just not it's just not what I it's not what I put the most stock in uh, is is how many likes I got or, you know, who, who gave my my quote a thumbs up or whatever the case may be. Um, and, uh, you know, if you start making decisions because of, you know, JM one, two, three said something to you and you don't know who the person is. I don't know why you would, yeah, I just, that, that doesn't, that doesn't work well for me. Uh, it yeah. doesn't, doesn't sort of, uh, doesn't sort of, doesn't have much effect on me, you know? So speaking of these uh, small districts, you've now been in the unique position twice in the last 10 years of uh, chairing the redistricting committee uh, that has to choose these new borders as determined with the census data. This process is pretty much wrapped up. It's wrapped up from the legislative side and I know um, it's wrapping up on the congressional side. Can you talk through that process a little bit, not so much in the, you know, how the districts are drawn, but how you think about communicating that out. And obviously, um, you know, in, in this case, this year, the house, the state house districts came out. Uh, there was, you know, seemed to be general consensus that they came out well. Um, there's been a little bit more debate on the Senate side of things, but then also on the congressional side. So can you talk about how, uh, you know, how you look at those uh, presenting that data and, and, and talking to both the public and the press uh, once those maps are drawn? Well, I mean, uh, 10 years ago, um, then Speaker Bob DeLeo had asked me if I would be interested in doing redistricting. And I said, um, I said, I would. Um, and he said, you know, you're going to get sued, right? <laughs> and I said, uh, <laughs> I said, well, I said, maybe not. Uh, you know, and he said, well, you're likely to get sued and you still want to do this. And I said, I said, well, I need some, 
I need to set a commitment out of you that that we are we're going to do this differently. That we're not going to do it um, the way it has been done in the past. Um, and he bought into that, um, and he actually was there before I was, quite frankly. Um, and he allowed the chairs, so the house chair, anyone on my side, uh, and I had Stan Rosenberg, who I only put a plug in for Stan, who was one of the he had done it ten years previous as well, mm-hmm. and he taught he taught me a lot about about. Uh, some of the problems that they had when they did it that time uh, on the house side. So we were, Stan and I were like lockstep in, in, in what we needed to do to change this process, open it up um, and make it as transparent and as open as you could, um, you know, by doing hearings all over the state, by, uh, by you know, putting together working groups of advocates to, to find out what they were concerned with um, and making decisions that are solely based on good sound redistricting principles that are transparent and everybody knows why you've made them. Um, and, you know, things like, you know, obviously you have, you've got a continuity and you've got a, a compactness and, uh, but also you have, you know, the community of interest arguments, you have the uh, section two of the voting rights bill. Uh, you know, so there's a lot of, uh, case law there's no there's no how-to handbook on how to do this but um but there are things that give you good solid guidance and um and we we put that out there and uh you know for the first time a lot of people had a seat at the table that i don't think had a seat prior and um you know in the end of the day i think i said this 10 years ago that a lot of the advocates and a lot of people that were concerned about this issue uh, you know, saw their fingerprints on those maps. They saw them. They saw they saw the maps that they wanted to draw. In some cases, uh, in most cases, um, as was then, we uh, you know the advocates asked I think for 19 majority minority districts 10 years ago, and we were able to do 20. I think um, this year they asked for 29, and we were able to do 33. Um, four of them are incumbent free. Uh, two of them, Inclu- including one here in Brockton, the city of champions. Yes, that's right. Uh, um, and I'm, my hope is uh, for the first time in the history of Brockton, I believe um, that they will elect an African-American. Uh, that is certainly set up that way. But what we've also learned about redistricting is that you can draw districts. That does not necessarily mean you're going to get the result you think, nor should you get the result you think, because um, candidates matter. You know, candidates matter. Uh, there are plenty of candidates out there who are black, who represent white people, who are Hispanic, who represent white people. There are plenty of white people that represent um, people that are minority. You know, Kip Diggs down the Cape, newly elected uh, uh, Democrat down the Cape, he beat a Republican in a district that is overwhelmingly white. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yet you have people like, you know, um, like Danny Cullinan, for years, represented for 10 years, represented eight years, represented a district that was one of the most um, uh, heavily majority minority districts in the state. So you mentioned Mayor Wu, and of course, that's the big news in Boston this week is her swearing in, historic for many reasons. Uh, She is a woman, she's a woman of color, and she's 36 years old. You were a strong supporter of Mayor Wu in her successful run to become mayor. Let me ask, how would you describe her communication style uh, and how would you say it's different versus uh, Mayors Janney, uh, Walsh, and Menino, uh, all of whom you uh, know or knew well? 
Um, Michelle is a um, remarkable person. Uh, you know, if you, you you mentioned the previous mayors, um, I did have the ability, the ability or the fortune, I should say, um, to have a very good relationship with former Mayor Menino, um, who I also think might be one of the better politicians I've ever I've ever come across. Um, not because he has the most most social media presence, not because he is was the best talker or uh, order, um, because uh, he led with his heart, and he and he had a had a had an instinct for w- what this city needed and what um, and what just the, the 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 flow of the city was. It was just amazing how he would he would he would know things about my district. <laughs> And it would amaze me how, 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 how much he knew about what was going on in my district. Um, and Michelle, uh, in contrast, um, who used to work for, who was an intern in Menino's uh, um, office, Michelle has that same love and heart, you know, like she leads with her, with her heart and her brain um, and loves the city. <clears throat> um, clearly she uh, is a, if you're going to strictly say who is a better order order, you'd say Michelle. Um, but you know, this, this game of politics, if you want to call it a game, um, there's, there's a lot of reasons people are successful and it's not always the same, you know, mixture of things that make somebody a good rep, a good mayor, a good congressperson. Um, you know, some of them are very different. You know, you look at Ayanna Presley and her style, versus a style of Richie Neal, um, you know, very successful, both of them in their own right, but different, but different, you know, right. um, again, not bad, just different. Um, so all of those people you mentioned, you know, Mayor Walsh, Mayor Janie, Mayor, Mayor Wu and Mayor Menino, all of them are very different people and came to this thing in a, in a different way. Doesn't mean that one's better or one's, you know, but it just means that they're, they have, you know, Marty, I worked with Marty for years in the legislature. Um, you know, Marty's, Marty's cocktail of, of success that he had to put together was, was one that included, you know, heavy union support, um, working class background, um, you know, where Tom Menino was the urban mechanic, you know, Tom Menino had to know how to fix pop, pop potholes and, and, and build parks, you know, and, 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 you know, that was his, he was the urban mechanic where Marty was the, was the, the blue collar working class mayor. Uh, you know, Janie, I think she was only there for a short time, um, seemed to be a really nice person. Um, and, uh, you know, but she was, she was, she was breaking all sorts of, all sorts of, um, you know, ceilings, uh, which was, which was wonderful to see. And then you have Michelle, the first elected, uh, um, woman and person of color and Asian person. Um, you know, and she, she is, um, she has got such a mandate by what she, how, how well she did in this election, um, not just the preliminary, but the, the final as well. Um, you know, it's when you're making big decisions and she has big decisions to make um, and you come into office with the, with the, with the, um, with the victory she had, you know, it gives her a lot of ability to do some, some, some big things. Now, what will they be? Um, you know, remain to be seen. She's got a lot of issues 
with the schools and the police and things like that that you, that are very that are very sticky uh, and, and and can be very complicated. Um, but you know, I think if she like Menino, like all those people, if you if you if you make your decisions with your brain and your heart, uh, you know, you generally come out on the right side of it, and people generally feel like at least you've done the very best you can. And uh, and I think that's and Michelle's very good at articulating that and, and, and being out there and having that present, let people know what she what she stand what she believes in, uh, and what what she what her what her what's going to guide her in her decision making processes. Yeah, and just to to follow up quickly on that, you know, when I say communication, I think not just of public speaking, but rather, you know, getting across to others what is most important to you, what your priorities are, and I suppose as a lawmaker, how you're trying to make their lives just a little bit better every day. Yeah, she, you know, she immediately, um, you know, uh, came to the state house yesterday, um, and you know, I I think you're gonna, you know, met with the governor, you know. When you look in a lot of ways, it's, it's, it's as old as politics itself, you know, likability, um, likability matters. And whether you agree with her or not, after you leave the conversation with her, you feel like she's, she's doing it for the right reason that she's a, and she's a good person. And, and that's just, it comes across really strong. And, and I think that's, what's going to happen with her. I think she's going to, yeah. Are there things that she's going to want to do that you don't always agree with? Well, there were things that every one of those mayors did that I that I didn't agree with, but uh, but but that doesn't mean that they're bad or that they're wrong. It just means that that's their perspective on the issue, and that's where they that's where they choose to 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 lean in or or uh, or, or 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 take the take the dialogue and take the uh, take the policy. So the last thing we wanted to ask you about, uh, obviously, um, there's been all kinds of things happening in Washington. Um, not a whole lot of progress other than the infrastructure bill a couple of weeks ago. But you were a very early in, in uh, leading supporter here in Massachusetts for Senator Bernie Sanders in both 2016 and 2020. What is it about Bernie's message that resonated here in Massachusetts? And do you think uh, that four years from now, eight years from now, if it's not Bernie himself, then it's that there will be another messenger that that speaks to that same uh, group of voters? Well, you know, the truth, truth be known is, um, you know, Bernie Sanders is somebody that I liked long before he went even for president. Um, he's been saying the same thing for a long time. Uh, and in some ways you saw Elizabeth Warren pick up on a lot of the stuff he was saying, right. Right. um, he was saying that first, um, and as a, as a Senator, Elizabeth Warren was saying it as in, in the, in the higher right. education world. But, um, so, you know, his, his, his support for unions, his support for single payer, um, his support for, you know, um, you know, tuition, you know, uh, um, uh, debt, getting rid of debt on, 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 on kids uh, coming out of school and like all that stuff is stuff that we have to think about. <clears throat> and, and sure, like, like Michelle and Michelle, you can, she's guilty of this. If you're going to use a term like that, you know, they asked for the, they asked for 20 in hopes they might get 15, you know, they're like a developer. You know, <laughs> you know, uh, if you're not talking about a free tea, you're not going to get anything. You know, if you're not talking about these issues and, you know, some classify them as lofty or whatever. If you're not having a discussion about it, then you're not going to get anything. You know, so uh, her her challenge, I think, is going to be how to manage those expectations of the Twitter world and of the of the social media world, um, because, you know, from what I see of that 
that demographic, you know, they're willing to throw you out, you know, out of office because, you know, you didn't do everything you, you said you were going to do in the first week, you know? Right. So, uh, and, and so she's going to have to manage expectations with that group. But what's, when you look at her numbers though, when you look at the win that she had, um, it was not, it was not because of that. Uh, I mean, she had, a, she had broad support. I mean, uh, from, from, from old school Bostonians, you know, I know, I know Anissa was very proud of her, um, and she should be, uh, very proud of her Boston heritage. Um, but if you look at the numbers, Michelle, Michelle did just as good in that demographic, if not better than she did, you know, there was a few few neighborhoods that she didn't do as well in, but in my neighborhood, uh, which has a old school Boston component to it, they went with Michelle, you know, they didn't, that's what they went with, you know? So, uh, and in areas like East Boston, you know, in areas like, uh, you know, in areas like um, West Roxbury, you know, and, and, and Rosendale, you know, uh, you know, she 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 got a lot of old school Boston. So her 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 win her win equation wasn't just, you know, wasn't just the Bernie vote, let's say it was it was a it was a large group that cut across a lot of different demographics. And um, and as I said earlier, that the win was a, it was a it was a. Yeah, I never thought I'd see that kind of win in a one-on-one mayor's race in my lifetime. Uh, it was pretty, it was pretty decisive, decisive. Um, and it gives her the ability now to, to govern uh, um, with a lot of freedom, knowing that, that she has that much, that much of the, the city is behind her. Michael, thank you so much for joining us. It was a real pleasure to have you on and to kick off this uh, new chapter in Boston's history with us. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. And to our listeners out there, thank you for joining another episode of And Then Some. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening so you don't miss out on future conversations. And if you've enjoyed this conversation and previous episodes, let us know by leaving a review and following us on social media. Solomon McCown Sensi on Instagram and at Solomon McCown on Twitter. We'd love to hear from you. That's it for now. We'll talk to you soon.